Hey everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. As always, this podcast expands well beyond muscle. We frame it around the six pillars of ultimately an optimized body, mind, and life. And muscle is a big piece of that. Muscle is an enormous piece of that. But so is the mind. And so is learning it to control your mind. And maybe learning to uh, address some of the experiences and traumas that exist in your body. And today's guest is someone who's helping us all release some of the previous traumas and tensions and anxieties and fears and inadequacies that live literally in our nervous system. He's probably the world's greatest authority on personal transformation. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome back to the show, Dr. John Demartini. If you haven't heard of Dr. John Demartini, he's going to absolutely blow your mind. He's really dispelled all of the common paths to personal growth down to a very few key number of things. And oftentimes his message is embedded in my messaging because I've learned so much and so often from Dr. Demartini. I've taken two of his courses, one being the Breakthrough Experience, uh, the other one being the Mastery Event, uh, both of which are around overcoming traumas, overcoming weaknesses, and ultimately the Mastery is designing your life and moving into your greatness. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome this legend of a human back onto the podcast to talk about how we can help all of you thrive in the years to come. And not just today, right? Today is a stepping stone to your greatest life in the future. And sometimes we overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year. And taking those consistent daily actions is the key to uh, success, right? Climbing a mountain looks daunting. Building a bridge could you imagine the first bridge that was ever built? How daunting that may have felt. The first significant bridge over, over a huge, massive water. How daunting that may have seen. How many days, maybe years it took to do that. Even the pyramids. like Things like that just take so much time. And, and if you focus on how long it's going to take, you'll never get there. But if you focus on one step at a time, you get there. And uh, you're going to absolutely love this podcast with you, Martini. And uh, I will uh, also mention this podcast is brought to you by Real mushrooms, my absolute favorite mushrooms on the planet, probably the best mushrooms, certainly the best ones that I've been able to source, which is why they've become a sponsor of the podcast. You know that I intentionally go out and curate these products. I don't just let anybody come in and sponsor the podcast. It's all of the stuff I personally use. And I'm so aware of what goes into my body being the highest quality ingredients that exist, which is why I work with companies like Real Mushrooms to know that I'm getting actual mushroom. And a lot of the companies in the U.S. are actually using micellinated grain. Look at your product at home. If it says micellinated grain on it, don't use it. Go to realmushrooms.com slash Ben. Get 30% off your first order, which is absolutely unheard of. And they did that especially for you because you're a loyal listener of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. You guys know how much I rave about Reishi and Lion's Mane, which literally day doesn't go by where I don't use these things. Um, and there's also another uh, couple products that I use in there, like their Five Defenders product, uh, something that I throw in you know, probably about one week of the month. I'll do an entire bottle, I'll throw it into one week, and then I'll pull it out. So it's almost acting like hormetic stress. Anyways, guys, I know that you're going to absolutely love this episode with Dr. Martini. And I also want you to not forget to head over to realmushrooms.com slash bed and get hooked up. If you've already ordered once, you can still get 20% off and use the code muscle muscle to get 20% off. Listen all the way to the end. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, get on it. What are you doing? This is the best podcast there is. And I'm going to continue to make it better and better and better now that I feel the world is opening up and uh, you know, 
the messaging on this podcast is becoming so well supported by you and all of the listeners. So share with at least one person you know and love and listen all the way in. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. One of my greatest mentors in the planet, someone who I, uh, every time you put out a video, Dr. Martini, I watch, I listen, and I'm, I'm trying to understand the depth of knowledge that you have, and it's so incredibly vast. Um, sometimes I don't know where to start. I don't know what questions to ask, but today I think I've got a good direction for us to go because a uh, few people in the world have the ability to explain things the way you do and the depth of knowledge you, you do. So sometimes it's literally a challenge to go, oh, my goodness, I think this man knows everything. How do, well, how do I know where to start? So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's only uh, I mean, it's it's not an attempt to at lip service. Right. It, it's an honest statement to say, like, you know, when you speak, uh, we listen and uh, we're incredibly grateful for your wisdom and your continued pursuit of, of understanding everything I saw recently. You're, I mean, I'm sure not recently, but recently I saw it. you're digging into epigenetics and, and uh, um, neuroplasticity. And that's uh, massively interesting to me and to my audience. And I'd love to dig into that. Um, maybe you could start there and talk about some of your recent discoveries, because I watched the video recently on Instagram and your ability to explain it is tremendous. Okay. Um, you want to start with one and then the other? Well, yeah. So why don't we, uh, I'd love to look at epigenetics because I don't even know that most people listening would know what that is. And I know it's a relatively new science, um, but what about that piqued your interest? What about that uh, do you think is, is an, I know you're always pursuing empowering um, opportunities. So what about that is an empowering opportunity versus a disempowering opportunity? What have been some of your discoveries there on how we can ultimately apply it? Okay, let me see if I can unpack that a bit. Um, first of all, I, I used to teach embryology many years ago. This is 43 years ago. <laughs> and uh, when a sperm and an egg meet inside the womb and they implant, they start out as a single cell, a zygote. And then they divide by mitotic divisions and two and four and eight and 16. They go through what they call a morula, a palastula, a gastula, phases of embryological development. And eventually get to the gastula stage and they start to differentiate and separate into different types of, of cells, endoderm, mesoderm, ectoderm. And then each of those types of cells branch further and each of these branchings are called stem cells. That's a term people are probably familiar with. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they differentiate further into skin and nervous system under ectoderm and bone and muscle under mesoderm, for instance. Things of the different, different types of tissues are formed. Yeah. Each time they form, they start out with the same genes. But when they break into different types of cells, the gene expression has to be modified. And so that leads to every time it divides, a cell gives rise to a signal molecule called a morphogen. And that signal molecule <clears throat> initiates a change reaction that works upon the genes in order to modify the gene expression. <clears throat> and this is called epigenetics, which means upon the genes. Mm -hmm. Epigenetics is massively impactful because it can go not only from the zygote forward, but it can actually carry from one generation to another. You can have multi-generational impact as a result of cell signaling. Now, what, what's interesting is 
that as we're developing as a as a organism and our senses come online, we perceive our environment. And as we perceive our environment, if we perceive something supportive to us, prey, or something challenging to us, predator, we feel relaxed or we feel tensed. You know, rest or digest, or feed or breed, or fight or flight. And they initiate certain neurotransmitters and hormones that then affect the cell and alter the cell signaling and alter the expression of the genes and create adaptations or lack of adaptations. If we adapt, we have a use stress. If we don't adapt, we have distress. And distress creates illness. And illness is the symptomatology to let us know that our perceptions of the external world are skewed, not balanced. So if we balance our perceptions, we get used stress. If we imbalance our perceptions, we get distress. So epigenetics has a massive impact, not only the brains alter, it alters the brain, but every cell of the body can be impacted by epigenetics, including our germ cells, our, our next sperm and eggs, they get tagged. And the way the epigenetics works is it works by methylating or acetylating predominantly which is a tagging of the proteins, histones around where the genes are wrapped or the genes themselves, or then the RNA, the expression of transcribing it into proteins. These functions are tagged to let us know that we have a perception that's not whole, that's incomplete, because there's really a balance out there, but we don't see it. We skew things. We subjectively bias our reality many times. Kind of like in politics in America, you got uh, the pro this and the pro that kind of thing. Right. So these biases show up as less of an adaptable state. If we t transcend the biases, we tend to normalize and tend to vitalize our body. So epigenetics is an essential component of our evolvement and development, but our perception can impact it. There was a gentleman named Lamarck at the time of Wallace and Darwin who believed that there was an inheritance of acquired characteristics. And they kind of looked back at him later and, and debunked him. But now with epigenetics, they brought him back alive and realized that we literally can alter our gene expressions by our attitudes. And so individuals that are living in alignment with what is truly meaningful to them, most inspiring to them, most fulfilling to them, really what's highest in priority to them. And they structure their day in an organized fashion to live by priority. They maximize the gene expression and maximize the potential uh, of these proteins and maximize human uh, fulfillment. So we epigenetically are capable of altering our physiology. And this is where now neuroplasticity comes in. The brain is constantly modeling itself, building and destroying itself based on essential needs of perception. And whenever we live by our highest value, it maximizes its adaptability and resiliency to whatever's happening to it and tends to neutralize the perturbations of our, per our perception. And But when we're not living congruently with what we value most, we tend to be more skewed and polarized and create symptomatology. And we tend to alter the neuroplasticity in our brain and turn on too much and turn off 
too little and cause symptomatology and physiology changes. So the nervous system, as well as the bones and all tissues of the body have plasticity. They're constantly recycling themselves and remodeling themselves. The bones are remodeling themselves moment by moment. The nerves are remodeling themselves. Everything is remodeling itself and adapting and needing for evolution to occur. It needs transformation, which requires building and destroying. So we have in the brain, we have oligodendrocytes deposing myelin and astrocytes removing it. And you've got neurogenesis and apoptosis, the building and destroying of nerves constantly based on need. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you need it, you, you grow it. And so if we're focusing on the highest priority actions that give us the greatest results in our life and becoming masters of destiny, we develop our forebrain and build it, uh, literally build it, and let the lower areas of the brain that are normally there for survival to start to go down. So we're more likely to live by priority and by, by you know exemplification of what's mastery instead of being reactive in survival mode. So what we think, what we visualize, what we feel, everything else, not only epigenetically, but epigenetically and neuroplastically is helping us maximize our potential. So way further depth than that, but that's just a summary. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, so we know that the foundation of um, creating an optimized version of yourself or, or living your greatest life is finding balance between the things that exist in life or maybe the, you know, your perception of things. Um, so I highly advocate everyone go to drdmartini.com and do your value determinants. Um, but once we've determined our values, what is the first uh, point of intervention you suggest for people? Because I think a lot of people can, I guess there's even one level, one question that may precede that is some people, as they go through your, your 13 step determinants, uh, value determinant system, I believe it's 13 steps. Um, do you think most people are being honest with themselves with their, like, it, how accurate do you find those value determinants in as much as most people are unaware of uh, this lacking self-awareness, right? Have you found um, that that tends to be a relatively de accurate depiction of people's values? And then the follow-up question is, if it is accurate, what is, what is the, the starting foundation to start ultimately living in those values? Great question. Um, the very first time somebody just goes to a website and does it, in all probability, they'll they'll distort and write down what they wish it would be. Mm -hmm. And I tell people to do it again a week, do it again a month, do it again in a quarter, and do it every quarter, and keep a record of it, which you can do online. Yeah, my third time was very different than my first, so you so yeah. accurate. <laughs> and then, then what happened is, uh, see, we don't realize it, but very few people are willing to really integrally stand out and overcome the conformity herd mentality. Mm -hmm. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of not fitting in. We're afraid of actually making decisions. And most of the time we brain offload decisions to other people that we think have more than we, we do, more awareness. And we inject their values into our life and cloud the clarity of what's really important to us, even though we claim we know what it is. And our pride then blocks us from actually digging deeper to find out what's really our life demonstrating. Like I, I ask people by the thousands, how many of you want to be financially independent? And most everybody puts their hand up. <laughs> and then I ask them, how many of you are financially independent or how many are making absolute progress in that direction? And the hands a lot go down, go down a lot. So I, um, I say, well, you know, you may have a fantasy of living the lifestyle of the, the, you know, rich and famous. 
and you love buying things that are consumables that depreciate in value, but you aren't going to get wealthy that way. You're going to get wealthy by buying assets that that grow in you know value and keep giving you passive income, and you don't spend it and let it compound. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, according to Einstein. So if you don't really have a value on wealth building, but you think you do, you fantasize it, you wonder why is it I keep sabotaging? Why am I not disciplined? Why am I not staying focused? Why can't I do this? I can't get ahead. It's because you don't have the values for it. So most people don't know their values. Bottom line, they don't know. What they think is important to them, their life doesn't demonstrate. I go by not what you say, I go by what your life demonstrates. And when you write the value determinants, Nine times out of 10, you don't want to face that. <laughs> you want to write your fantasy down the way you wish right. it would be, hope it would be, or someday wish it would be, right. or the way it used to be, instead of actually, what does your life demonstrate? Yeah. And it's a really simple exercise. And if you really are honest with the answers and look objectively and get your friends to say, is that really true when I'm writing? And let them tell you, speak up and not, you know, give in to you and please you. You'll get a more accurate assessment and usually it takes a few times for some people to get past their own bias to get to the truth of that. Yeah, the first time I did mine was 2017. The first time he came on the show, and uh, I've done it since twice. And it's completely, well, the second and the third time were much more in alignment. And I think my clarity in life has been exponentially greater. But I'd still like to ask the question of if I know my values, um, it's still not the easiest thing to live with inside of them, right? There's still expectations of society, there's expectations of finances. Um, what is your first step or your first intervention that you suggest that um, gets us able or confident enough, maybe, as you say, like sometimes we're living on other people's values because we don't, we subordinate to their needs and their their uh, their values. What is the first step in helping people start to move toward living inside their values? Well, first, really do a, <clears throat> an honest assessment of what your life demonstrates. You know, my, <clears throat> if you were to follow me around 24 hours a day for the last 48 years and measure how many hours I do things each day, how much time I spend on things, what do I fill my space with? You know, if you, if you look at it, my life's pretty, pretty straightforward. I'm a researcher and teacher and I research and write. I mean, I've been, I'm writing on a book right now. I just finished one last night. I'm, I'm constantly writing and teaching and researching. So if you look honestly at what your life demonstrates and look at what really inspires you and what really raises your energy, and the thing that you really can't wait to get up and do. Once you really define that, that's the first step. Once you define it, then it's about structuring your life and taking command strategically on how to prioritize your life and delegate the rest away. Now, I didn't happen overnight for me. I had to do it. It took about three years to really start to really get that in motion for me. But um, I've shown people sooner than that. I've seen people take longer than that. But if you're not filling your day with high priority actions that inspire your day is going to fill with low priority distractions at all. And if you don't delegate lower priority actions, you're going to keep devaluing yourself and feeling overwhelmed doing things that's not inspiring to you. And if you don't produce remuneration doing the thing that most inspires you, uh, you won't be able to do what you love and get handsomely paid for it. Your right. vacation won't be the same. Right. So I, I love, I mean, that's one of the reasons I teach the Breakthrough Experience and other programs. I love helping people find out what really inspires them and start to structure their life so they can start living it. And I've done that with thousands of people. I'm, I'm certain it's doable. I, I mean, I've seen 
amazing directions that people would never have imagined they could make a living on it, make great livings on it. I mean, great livings, I mean, millions. So I, I think that it's about deciding, this is my commitment. I'm going in this direction. How do I prioritize it? And how do I commercialize and monetize what I would love so I can get paid to do what I love so I can delegate the things down? You know, if I, if I don't produce more doing what I love, then what it costs to delegate all the rest, I'll be trapped doing all the rest. Or I'll be trapped having to work for somebody else for security because I haven't entrepreneurially designed my life where I can get handsomely paid doing what I love. But I've yet to see something that can't be commercialized. I mean, I, I think I told you a time in the break to experiment about a lady that took a dog and turned it into $25 million. <laughs> no, I didn't hear that one. Yeah. She was a, a lady that came to the break to experience. And I asked her, what does she love doing? She just loves spending time with her dog. She does it every day. And we turned it into a $25 million net worth. Doing what? We turned him into be the number one dog in America. Wow. Digit for the Taco Bell dog. He was the milk bone dog, biscuit dog. Yeah. And uh, we turned him into a hero and a, and a celebrity. And wow. he made like tons of money off this dog. And even the dog died and we turned it in. We got another dog to look the same and kept the dog going. So he was a 25-year-old dog. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the point was, you can organize your life in such a way that you can get paid to do what you love. And money without meaning leads to debauchery, but money with meaning leads to philanthropy. So it's to your advantage to make money doing something you love doing. So you can't wait to get up in the morning and tap dance to work, as Buffett says. Right. Or otherwise, you're, you're going to end up having a job to make money, and then you're going to escape it and spend your money on what you're enjoying doing. And you'll have the schizophrenia, you know, Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Friday's week friggin' ends, and then escape to a vacation and retirement. And that's not, in my opinion, the wisest way to live. Right. So talk to me about this segment of the population that maybe doesn't feel they deserve to be happy or doesn't know what their inspired life looks like at an unconscious level. Maybe they've experienced some some traumas and, and you know, we want to help them break through. And, and you've become uh, certainly the world's foremost expert on, on uh, exploring these things. It's funny. Last night I was having some salmon here at, uh, at the hotel <clears throat> and uh, there was a gentleman sitting next to me that for some reason was intrigued by me. I don't know why I was just eating some salmon, but he kept asking me questions. And he was one of those individuals that was kind of like, you know, life sucks. You know, I can't get ahead. <clears throat> can't make ends meet. What a stressful life and everything. And I started asking him questions. <clears throat> I don't think he realized who, you know, what he was about to get into. <laughs> he, he's a lovely guy, but he, <clears throat> I, I, I think I've shattered his thinking process. Good. But I, I basically said, well, you know, what is it you really love doing that you spontaneously do? He says, I'm fishing. I love fishing. I said, so you make just enough money to go fishing. He says, pretty well. And then you, you have to get away from fishing. And then you're frustrated because you now got to go out and make enough, enough money so you can have enough money to go on a fishing trip again. Mm -hmm. He goes, yeah, I live from fishing trip to fishing trip. I said, have you even remotely considered on how to make a fortune being involved in fishing? And he just, he said, he didn't even have it. He had a beer and he was sitting there and he was like, never thought about that. I said, well, have you ever considered making a living, doing what you love to do, fishing, chartering boats, taking people on fishing trips, 
educating on fishing, creating your own website, educating people on the best stuff on fish. And you just see his mind go, whoa, whoa. And he started to come alive and he, he says, what do you do? <laughs> I said, well, I'm just a guy sitting here having some salmon and <laughs> I, I'm kind of a human behavioral guy. He goes, man, that's that just shattered my whole thinking process. I said, yeah, that's sort of what I do with people. And within about 20 minutes, 25 minutes max, while I was eating, um, we gave him a plan of what he could do to get over the hump to start working. Because I said, do you have at least two hours to four hours a week you could start working on this? And he goes, yeah. I said, why don't you, and, and instead of maybe having a beer, maybe taking that that little bit of beer and, and stick it into some research online and see if we can't figure out what we could do to get a fishing empire built. And he started thinking about it. He says, man, I never even gave myself the thought of that. I said, well, I don't know who you are, but if you love fishing, I bet you'd be great at it. I bet you just, I said, I bet you sit with your friends all day long and talk about fishing. He says, I do. He says, I bet you give them advice on what things to get and what, how to, how to fish and how to, yeah. Well, why don't get paid for that? That's a, that's a fortune. That's a multi-million dollar business. There are people that are fishing lovers. And if you had your own show on fishing, I just painted a picture for him and guy came alive. So it's just, people don't ever ask the right question. The quality of our life is based on the quality of the questions we ask. <clears throat> and we don't ask questions to liberate ourselves from our pattern of behavior and our comfort zones and to step out and look at the possibilities of doing something, what we really love to do and get magnificently rewarded for it so what do you get like i get this all the time from people that i interact with it's like what do you want to do i don't know what do you love to do i don't know i'm just like gosh i couldn't imagine living that life but where do you start well the thing is is the moment you brain offload and give people the power to make decisions outside you you're almost guaranteed to be injecting other people's values into your life and to the degree that you do your confidence in yourself will go down and so what will happen is you'll live with security and survival mentality, subordinating to other people, depending on the external world for your survival. And that's sort of a socialistic um, perception instead of a capitalistic perception in some respect. And so you depend on the crowd to tell you what to do or how to fit in and what the average is and what the norm is and the belief systems and the biases. And you're not likely to think outside the box as easily. But, you, you know, people want to make a difference. And they only make a difference by standing out, not by fitting in. And so they they uh, they have to base, basically be willing to ask, what is that I really love doing? And how could I get handsomely paid to do it? I have seven questions that I'll share that really make a difference. They're simple questions. What is it I would absolutely love to do in my life? And most people never even ask that. And, and because they set goals, most people set goals that are matching everybody else's values. They don't have the perseverance and the determination to see it through because it's not really them. It's not an intrinsic uh, goal. It's something extrinsic to them. So you have to find the thing that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do that. You'll do whatever it takes to get. Finding that why, that driving force is the key. That's the burning desire that Napoleon Hill talked about. So finding out what that is is the first step. And but asking yourself, what is it I'd absolutely love to do? The thing that I spontaneously do every day. So what do you I tell this guy? What do you do spontaneously that nobody ever has to remind you to do? And you do it every single day. He says, yep, fishing. 
I said, man, you are, you would be a multimillionaire fisherman. I'm telling you right now, that's your path. And you could just see him going, you know, nobody's told me that before. That's what he said. He says, everybody said, that's, you, you need to go to work. You need to do this. You need to get a job. You need to be accountable. You need to be responsible. You need to do, you got a kid, you got to do. I said, but you really would love to go fishing. There are people out there. Is there anybody out there that makes a fortune fishing? Goes, yeah, I'm watching them on TV and on the on the podcast. I said, why can't that be you? What's the difference between them and you? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, let's go find out. <laughs> let's go online and educate ourselves. It's education that gives you the step forward. So what does your absolutely love to do? How do I get handsomely paid to do it? How do I get beautifully and handsomely paid to do exactly what I love? That's a very powerful question. Most people ask the question, how can I afford to do it? How can I afford to do it? They want, they're used to spending and getting themselves in debt doing what they love. Right. They always think of spending money to do what they love and making money doing what they don't love. That's insane. That's a crazy way to live your life. But how do I get paid to do what I love? So I'm absolutely inspired to do it. Because when you go to a store and you see somebody that's inspired by what they do, you want to go back to them. If you got a, a, a waiter that's that way, you tend to go back and want that waiter. You attend a salesperson, you want to go back to that salesperson. You got a, a, a car driver, they, they, you want to get that car driver when they're inspired. And that's the way where you get the, the, the sizzle that sells the steak, as they say, that gives you more business opportunity. So how is it? What does I love to do? How do I get handsome paid to do it? And don't stop till you come up with it, because there's always an answer. I've not seen an answer not being able to be found. The third one is, what are the highest priority actions I can do today to move me one step closer to living that? That's a very powerful, because if you're moving us, even if it's a small step every day in that direction, you're going to get it. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And why are you going to go through life? You might as well go in the direction of life and what inspires you than to just go through life doing the same actions and expecting different results. So you basically said, I go, what is it I would absolutely love to do? How do I get handsome paid to do it? What are the highest priority actions I can do today, starting today, that can make that happen? And that in alone, that alone changed this lady's life in New York into a $25 million opportunity spending time with her dog and made a celebrity dog out of her dog. That's, that's only because she took the time to do that. Now, the fourth one is what obstacles might I run into and how do I solve them in advance? What, what challenges, because foresight is better than hindsight. Hindsight is learning through trial and error, which is the lowest heuristic. But foresight is looking forward and thinking, what are the possible things? What obstacles might happen? How do I mitigate them? How do I solve them in advance um, and prevent them? And a person that takes the time to do that has a higher probability of achieving what they're going to do. And we'll see whatever obstacles they have is on the way, not in the way, because they've got a plan for it. And so you're, you're, you're expediting the process of moving in the direction of what you love to do and getting paid for it. So what are the highest priority action steps you can take today? And what are the obstacles? The third one is what worked and what didn't work today? You monitor and metric what you did that worked. So well, here's what I did. What worked? What didn't work today? What moved me closer to it? What seemed to be a little bit less effective. And the next question is, how do I do it more effective and efficiently tomorrow? Well, what I learned yesterday, I, I, if I keep doing the same thing, I'll get the same result. What am I going to do different tomorrow from what I learned today? Because if you're not learning and refining, you're not really mastering. So the last question is, how did whatever I experienced today, how did it still help me get one step closer? 
That's a powerful question. Because yep. no matter what happens, you still get closer, but you're still looking for the most efficient. Because anytime you're more effective and efficient at doing something than somebody else, you have a competitive advantage. And anytime you're doing something you really love to do, you have Ricardo's competitive advantage to give you a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Can you talk to me about um, creating an alignment between your values and your goals? So I think it seems that a lot of people are setting goals that may not be in alignment with their values and therefore they're not inspired and uh, they end up not following through. So speaking about these goals, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have written down those seven questions. And for the next three to five days, many of them will take action on it. And uh, after that, sometimes it seems that, that you know, call it a large percentage of the population falls off. And from my experience with your stuff, it seems like this is a, a separation in the alignment between values and goals. Is that accurate? Anytime you set a goal that is not aligned to your highest values, you are designed. Not, it's not a mistake. It's not a weakness. You are designed to fade. It's that simple. It's not, it's, it's not even wise to pursue goals that aren't really truly inspiring to you and truly deeply meaningful and, and ones that are highest in priority. Because when you're living according to your highest priority, your blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain and you set objectives and you're more strategic and you're more inspired and you tend to be more objective and tend to achieve, you execute and you calm down your distractions. But the second you're doing lower values, something that's not really important, it's sort of important, I think it's important. Well, it should be important, it ought to be important. You're automatically going into your amygdala and the amygdala wants to avoid pain and seek pleasure. So if you don't get immediate gratification, you give up on it. And immediate gratification costs and long-term vision pays. And long-term vision only occurs if you're congruent with high values. So if you find yourself giving up, it's because there's still refinement on the goal. It's not quite the goal. You still got a bit of a fantasy sitting in there that you're going to do something that's not really truly most meaningful to you. You're probably comparing yourself to others, probably injecting their ideas into your life, trying to be somebody you're not. And I see this quite often. Most people compare themselves to others instead of compare their daily actions to what's really highest on their value. I think in that scenario, sometimes maybe it's hard for people to imagine what the end result looks like? I mean, from your experience, do you find people set goals that are too small to keep them inspired or they're, um, you know, too small because they don't believe in their own ability to follow through? It can be both ways. They can set too big a goal in too short a time frame without a plan or too, too small a goal in too long a time frames and be bored. Burnout or boredom can interfere with it. So that means that their personas, their masks, the facades that they're living by are interfering with the true authentic goals that they have inside their heart. And finding what that is, is the key. That's why the highest value is so important because the highest value increases the probability of setting a goal that's really more in line with what that is. You know, I've, I've been over my, my life in the last 48 years have set goals that I've had to refine. Like goals that I thought were important to me. And then I find that a year later, I go, not showing a lot of evidence on it must not be important. And then what, so what is showing up? And I, I, I eventually edit some of those things and try to realize, okay, this is what I'm obviously interested in. This is what's true. And I've discarded some things that I thought were important and refined things that I thought were, um, you know, less important. And I've tweaked it as I went along. So I can't say that you're, that, that anybody really has an absolute lucid vision of every detail of where they're going to go. It's a, it's a modification and refinement. You read it and refine it and you, but, but if you don't have a goal 
and you don't have something to work on that's deeply meaningful, that really inspires you to get up and go, then you're probably just existing. And you're probably going to be easily swayed by the world and be a spectator instead of a, a leader in the, in the world. Do you have any perspective on people? So a lot of my audiences in the fitness uh, arena, we'll call it. And I think we, we run into a lot of people who are obese or their health starts to deteriorate, but they don't value being healthy and fit. Um, maybe they value comfort. Maybe they value so being social. Maybe they value whatever is not in alignment with something that may be a physiological necessity. Like I need to get in shape or I need to be leaner. I need to be healthier, but they don't value that. How do I help them come down the path of um, well, change? First of all, the world needs every value system. There's, so there's going to be people dedicated to spiritual pursuits, intellectual pursuits, business pursuits, financial pursuits, family development pursuits and children, uh, social causes, physical fit, fitness and beauty, every, every value system serves. But there's niches. You know, mine's intellectual capacity. My workout's probably substandard compared to your workout. You know, I, I mean, I, I run and I jog a bit and I do, I do 70 push-ups pretty good. I, I, you know, I've got a little bit of a thing going. I'm 66, so I'm still cranking. But, but compared to what could be, that's not my highest one. It's high enough to keep a, at least some regimen, but not my highest. But if I look at where my highest value is, I'm learning every day. I'm like on clock every day and teaching every day. So those are accelerating. So mine's more the intellectual pursuit and the business of teaching. Uh, somebody else may have a different one. So if they find themselves going, okay, I'm now interfering with my what I love doing because of my health, they'll say, okay, I need to put some energy into it but just enough to be able to do what they want to do. So if they do not see how all of the action steps that have proven to keep fit and to keep wellness is serving what they value most, they're less likely to do it. So the first thing to do is ask them, how specifically are the action steps that are proven to assist people in keeping fit and toned and agile and resilient and, and vital? How specific are those action steps helping you fulfill what is truly, deeply meaningful in your life? Not what you fantasize about, but what your life is demonstrating consistently, spontaneously, daily. If they can make a link between those, they increase the probability of doing those actions that help them fulfill what's most meaningful to them. In other words, if somebody came to me and said, well, Dr. Martini, we just did a research study and we found out that uh, the individuals that are most successful in in teaching are the ones that end up going to um, play tennis two hours a week, a minimum. And then the study showed it. And I went out on a, a thing and I did some tennis and I have a sudden I booked four big business uh, speaking opportunities. I'd go, hmm, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Well, I'm so grateful. Now I'm going to start going to play tennis because I'm getting what I want through that vehicle. So we have to bring to their awareness because every decision an individual makes is based on what they believe will give them the greatest advantage over disadvantage at any moment in time. They have to be able to see that doing those action steps that are proven to help fitness and, and well-being, though how those action steps will for certain give them more advantage and disadvantage to fulfill what they are they're spontaneously wanting to fulfill in their life. If it's raising kids, if it's if it's building a business. Because I had a gentleman that never thought about, you know, working out or going golfing or anything like that until he read an article and he found out that some of the biggest business leaders in the world play golf. 
He goes, oh, well, I want to be a business leader. So he said, well, let me go out in a golf course and see what I do. And he happened to go out and there was a guy there and he ran into and he didn't close business deals, but he saw the potential for it. So he started to go, I think I'm going to go again. By the fourth time he was out golf and he closed a deal and he thought, hmm, that's a $150,000 deal. I just closed a net return to me is around 15,000. It cost me $800 to do that, to make 15,000. That's better than my my normal acquisition of clients and return on my investment. So off he went to golfing then. You often talk about helping people overcome negative attachments or negative scenarios in their past. Um, and I know the breakthrough experience is, is built around that, learning how to balance those out. What do you do if someone has an attachment to that negative thing in their past? Like they identify as, as that thing being just part of who they are and, and they don't want to break it. Well, there are people that get attention. I had a lady at the Merriam Hotel in Dublin, Ireland that I consulted with that had been living, according to what she said, for 57 years in extreme pain. Now, that's called glial pain. And glial pain is an intentional pain. That means there's an unconscious intention to keep it there because there's no biological reason for it. No, there's no nerve inflammations, no injuries, no cells are dying. So it's a pathway in the brain that's basically cortically de derived and thalmically derived. And so um, I went in there and I said, you know, just out of curiosity, you're telling me how bad your pain is. You've been bitching about your pain for 57 years. What's the benefit you're getting out of it? And she says, well, how can you ask me a question like that? I said, a very simple question. No one will continue to do something unless they get an advantage out of doing it. So everything is strategic. So let's find out what the unconscious strategy is. What's the benefit you're getting out of it? She went blank. There is no benefit. I said, no, you wouldn't continue it. Your brain and body would not continue this strategy unless you had a motive. So let's find out what it is. So what's the benefit getting out of it? She went blank. I said, answer the question. I'm holding you accountable. You're paying me. You're going to get a result if you follow my instructions. And within about eight minutes, I guess, of pausing and hesitating, she finally said, wow. I said, what? She goes, when I was very, very young, I had a sister that was in really good shape, very bright, very intelligent, very good in sports, good in academics. She was like the super child in the family, and there was no way I could compete with her. The only way I could compete with her is injuring myself to get attention in the family and to be in some sort of suffering or pain. And she said, I think I carried that through my life, didn't I? I said, so what's another benefit of your pain? Because we, once we can find out what the unconscious motive is, we can come up with alternative ways of getting those same benefits without having to use pain as a strategy. Right. So I sat with her in one hour. We came up with nine alternative strategies to get the same outcome without having to use pain as a strategy. And when she got the benefits on a cognitive level and didn't have the internal conflict between the suppressed motive and the outward expression to people. She got a lot of attention, a lot of center of attention by being in pain. She got out of things that she didn't want to do. There's a lot of strategies she was using. And when she finally got it, she said, you know what, Dr. Martini?" and she had tears in her eyes. She said, it's interesting, but right this minute, I'm not feeling any pain. I said, great. 
Now you know why I asked you that question. She goes, how come somebody's never done this with me or asked me these questions before? I said, don't know. I wish I could tell you that. I don't know the answer to that. Nobody thought that angle. Mm-hmm. Most people actually believe what people consciously bitch about. But I don't. I don't ever pay attention to what people bitch about. People say, well, I got to get out of this relationship. It's killing me. Really? 10 years later, they're still there. That means that they still have more advantages and disadvantages being there. They would have left. Same thing in a job. Same thing about their health. So I, I, I dig for the unconscious motives. If I don't see a biological reason, I look for the unconscious motives for those types of things and try to uncover it, make them aware of the unconscious strategies, the benefits that they're getting out of continuing to do whatever they're doing. Because even though somebody says, well, I'm killing myself or I'm sabotaging or I'm doing this, not really, because the reason why they haven't started their own job and started their entrepreneurial thing is because in their perception, they don't have a strategy and the pain of going out of there and failing is greater than the pain of enduring the job. That's all. So they perceive that what they're doing is more comfortable, more benefit than the alternative anxiety ridden, you know, new strategy. That's all. Would the same answer hold true for someone with feelings of inadequacy and maybe they're not setting goals because they feel like they can't achieve them or they don't deserve them? Is it the same feeling like they're getting more benefit from holding on to that achievement or that feeling of inadequacy? Well, if they've had a, a situation where they feel ashamed or guilty about some action and they feel unworthy, sometimes the, that self-depreciation and fantasy of who they should have been block them. Sometimes they don't have a strategy and they anticipate that if I was to do that, the, the pain of the failure would be overwhelming or I could lose all my money. Most people have the fear of not being smart enough, the fear of failure, the fear of loss of money or not making money, the fear of loss of loved ones or respect of loved ones, the fear of rejection, the fear of ill health, death or disease, or not being attractive or you know wanted by somebody, or the fear of breaking the morals and ethics of some spiritual authority you're subordinated to. All of those subordination fears are what underlie most people's stagnation. That's it. And every one of them are solvable. There, there's nothing there that's permanent unless you choose to make it so. If, if I brought up the concept of thinking bigger, so thinking on a global scale and ultimately solving bigger problems, um, I, I'm just curious what your, what your uh, first thing that comes to mind is when I say that. And for some people who aspire to think at that level, but aren't able to reach it yet? Well, fantasizing about what you're going to do that's going to make this big difference in the world without a strategy is usually self-defeating. And um, if it doesn't match your highest values, you won't sustain it. And my, my experience is there's a domino effect. You probably heard of the domino effect. A little domino next to a bigger domino, mm-hmm. a bigger domino. And so what happens is if a person will just take little baby steps and each time make a little bit bigger step, they will, in the long run, like compound interest, get the biggest long-term global effect. You know, I started out in my savings uh, 38 years ago with $200 a month, and that was feeling like a stretch. But I've become massively financially independent because I just kept increasing it. I made it 300, I made it 500, I made it 750, I made it 1,000, I made it 2,000, I made it 4,000, I made it 8,000, 16, 32, 64, 128,000 a month. I just kept increasing it incrementally over a period of time until it built a fortune. So 
most people, if they just stay focused and build momentum on the thing that is truly inspiring to them and do a little bit of incremental growth as it goes, that eventually becomes massive. Piggy banks become biggie banks. Little action make big dreams. And instead of going for the big, it's, it's like the, the gambler who wants to make the huge fortune overnight compared to the individual who's methodical and just keeps saving. I'm the methodical saver and investor, not the big gambler. You don't need to gamble. You don't need to take giant risks and, and, and knock it out of the ballpark. You can just keep hitting, you know, runs and getting first to second base, third base, and just go around the, 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 the ball for it. If you hit a home run occasionally, fantastic. But I'm a firm believer in just methodical, consistent, uh, incremental growth is wiser. Southwest Airlines followed that process and became one of the most successful airlines. Didn't go for the some of the other airlines. The other lines would go overgrow and then have to downsize, overgrow and downsize, high volatilities. They just kept mm -hmm. methodical growth, they kept a, a boundary on the up and down sides of their volatilities. And they became a very powerful airline because of it. Yeah, I think social media perpetuates, um, the, you know, this glamorization of overnight success because there's 10 people of 7 billion who have achieved it. So that makes it possible. And it's right in your face every five minutes. So everyone assumes they can do it too. Yeah, it's a false attribution bias too. Uh, you know, <laughs> I must be a slow learner, or a slow person because I've spent 48 years doing what I do. And uh, I've, I've, I set out to empower all seven areas of my life to create original ideas that served the world. And that's happening today. I want to create a global business that's happened today. I want to create financial independence that's happened already. Uh, global family dynamic that's happened. Social influence. I've got thousands of people I've met around the world that do amazing things. You know, physical vitality. I went surfing on the North shore at 65 years old on big waves. I, uh, you know, I'm inspired. So you would never convince me you can't do it, but it's not something that is a, you know, massive gambling mechanism. It's a methodical, consistent planning, implementing, momentum building thing. Good to Great by Jim Collins made a very emphasis on that. Little incremental refinements are the ones that do, the overnight success that took 25 years over incremental refinements is more stable than a super rise, super fall. With very many times super rises have come with super falls. Incredibly true. Would you mind sharing the seven areas for the listeners? Yep. I believe that each individual has the capacity to empower seven areas. And any area in their, in their life that they don't empower, somebody else will overpower. So that is their mental capacities. They have the capacity to master their mind, master and govern their, their emotions, and uh, come up with creative, innovative solutions to serve humanity that are original. I believe that they have the capacity to create a business at whatever scale that they want. It could be local or global, and there's no reason why it can't be done because people doing it. And uh, I, I was the least likely to do it when I was a teenager. I was a high school dropout living in a tent. I lived on the streets as a kid. So I, I, I know what it's like to be with nothing, and I know what it's like to have a great life. So uh, I also believe that you have the capacity to be financially independent. I've, I've helped thousands of people turn their financial uh, direction, thousands. I mean, probably millions now with with just simple, basic, no risk, risk, get rich, quick games, just methodical, consistent, common sense building of wealth. And I'm absolutely certain any human being could do it. It's just a matter of structuring it. And I and, and almost everybody I've structured 
They go, why couldn't I have done this 25 years ago? I go, I don't know, but now you're ready to go. So let's be grateful for it is now. But compound interest is one of the most amazing things on the planet because it, it really starts to compound if you stay patient with it. Then, then uh, having a family love, somebody you really love and you can't wait to be with, that's inspiring. And I think that that's totally doable in this planet. I had a lovely uh, wife, but she passed away, but I had a lovely wife that I've definitely, if she was around today, I would be able to say, We've, we did it, we pulled it off. And she passed away. But the reality is that you can have love no matter what, it's never missing. There's no lack of love on the planet. It's just a matter of you and you and the one and the many people that you interact with and knowing how to communicate effectively and open your heart to those people and realize they're reflections of you and love them. You get love all day long. Then socially, you know, how big a difference do you want to make in life? It's the more you actually make a difference, the more you see you can go to the next level with it. It just spontaneously tends to emerge. I mean, I, at one time I thought, well, I'd like to see so many clients and then now we've reached billions of people. So billions are totally doable. <laughs> we've reached over 250 million. I did 20 million yesterday and did 19 million last week of new people on podcasts around the world. So God, you can make you can reach millions of people and with ideas and make some sort of difference. It's not that hard to do. And so you give yourself permission to go after what it is you really love, but first gotta define it. And physically fit, I think. You know, if you if there there are common sense things, if you do any of them, the more you do, the more likely you have a more ageless, you know, body. You know, you get more more energy out of the day. I, I have uh, I, I do 16, 18 hour days every day. I don't have a problem with that. And I full on I, I'm just as energized at 10 o'clock at night, as you probably know, 11 o'clock at night as I am at seven in the morning, six in the morning. So there's no lack of energy for somebody who's doing what they love doing. No lack of energy. So I think you can empower all seven. And then being inspired by something, I believe that if you're not inspired and not living by priority, missing out on life, because life is inspiring. There's a lot of magnificence that we can, you know, people go, well, well life is this. What about this? What about, well, if you focus on all that, I guess that's what you're going to focus on. I don't see problems out there. I see solutions to problems. The first one you mentioned was mental mastery. What does that look like? Well, mental mastery is being able to uh, prioritize whatever you perceive and whatever you do according to what is highest in priority and to know how to take whatever happens in your life and see it on the way, not in the way and maintain an objective balance orientation. So you're not infatuated with things and blind to the downsides or resentful to things and blind to the upsides and skewed and distracted by the extrinsic world, but be present and see the magnificence of the world as it is, not as you skew it. That's so, called master. And coming up with original ideas, asking yourself, what are the problems that I can solve today? That's a great question. What What's the greatest problem that I can solve on this planet today? And give yourself permission to tackle it. So prioritizing based on your values. Yeah. You know, Peter Demondius and uh, Anusha Ansari, the other day, they were they were doing a, a gig the other day, and they asked me to come on. And, I, and it was interesting. They uh, They asked some great questions. What are the biggest problems on the planet and how do we incentivize a genius to find a solution and raise the money to reward them for coming up with a solution? What a great idea. They raised $200 million doing that to try to help solve problems in the world. Fantastic. I was with the very first one they started, which is the Unsight Prize for the Spaceship One, suborbital travel in space. I was one of the first people involved in that. And they found it and they got a solution and it's soon going to be launching in a virgin galactic because of it. So 
wow, somebody with a great idea started that, solved it, raised the money for it, made it happen. So I, I really, I think that people underestimate what they're capable of contributing on the planet from just being themselves. Yeah. Um, there seems to be this movement toward raising the consciousness of humanity. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I, I think that uh, the evolution of consciousness is ongoing. And we sometimes uh, judge another person when they don't match our values. And we tend to think, well, they need to be more like our values. And, and evolution is more like us. We have to be careful for that because that's, that's self-defeating. I, I don't, uh, I, I think the world is magnificent the way it is. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, um, a lot of the things that people see as problems, I see as a pair of opposites and a balancing act and an absolutely essential step in the evolution of consciousness. As, as Bucky Fuller says, pollution is future solution. You know, I, I, uh, I remember when I was a kid, there was a, uh, the Hudson River in New York was so polluted that there was dead fish and sewage and foam, and it was it was crazy. Today, there's people fishing out in it. It's cleaner than it was in the 1950s. We found a solution, and I'm absolutely certain there'll be a solution for the global global temperature issues that they're having right now. I'm, the more I've been researching it, the more I see there's plenty of solutions out there. This is just an economic game, and there's plenty of solutions, and it's just a matter of when people decide to do it, they'll do it. And I'm, I'm absolutely certain that these are temporary things and we will go and solve them and go on to the next problem. Life is not about getting rid of problems. It's about solving them and going to make, make the next bigger one and solving that and going to the next bigger one. And the problems get bigger. They don't get smaller. I hope to have bigger problems when I'm 100 than when I do now that I'm working on. That's amazing. And that's, that's so true, isn't it? It's like uh, hope or, or maybe wish to be stronger don't wish for an easier life right or, or, or plan to be stronger don't don't hope for an easier life well I, I love what norman vincent pill said if you get up in the morning and you don't have a problem get on your knees and pray for one quickly because you die yeah <laughs> very very true uh dr Martini, again so much value and incredible information uh where would you like to send our audience to learn more from you well if, if anybody wants to endure me because <laughs> i'm i'm a pretty uh, vivacious guy when it comes to education. Uh, they just go on my website, drdmartini.com. I, uh, I, I'm certain that they could go on there and probably spend the rest of their life on there. They'd almost have to be a Buddhist believing in reincarnation to finally get off that site because there's enough on there to keep busy for the rest of their life. And you're not exaggerating. I've spent a lot of time over the last uh, maybe 12 months on the site and uh, the courses are incredible. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing more in the future and uh, hopefully in person, um, yeah so much value and so much amazing perspective. And I hope uh, the more exposure I get, eventually it seeps into my unconscious mind and it just lives there rather than- yeah, in like you've, you've, you've brought in a lot of it because you're, you're, you're already going for it. You got the, you're doing a great job. So I think you've already figured out some of it yourself and incorporated part of it. New amounts of clarity, new levels of clarity. And I attribute it to you and your processes and I'm, I'm incredibly grateful eternally. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to share with your, People, but it's Dr. John, John drdmartini.com and have them go and do the value determination and go start the journey of getting clear about what they want so they can start prioritizing life. Yeah, and not just once. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. So thank you very much for this opportunity and, and look forward to somewhere doing it again. Thanks, Dmartini. Dr. Dmartini. Thank you so much. That's a wrap, ladies and gents, boys and girls. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I know you've got a lot of places to go, a lot of places to be, a lot of things that can pull your time and attention. And I constantly strive to provide the best perspective, the best guests, the best insights, and the best action items 
to allow you to thrive. And, and so you understand the framing of this podcast, the six pillars of an, of an optimized life, which I've read in the past called the lean, healthy, muscular body. Ultimately, it's just about optimizing your life, right? Whether you're trying to be big and muscular or you're trying to be lean and healthy or you're just trying to have enough energy to play with your kids or have a great sex life, whatever it is, there's certain things that you need to do to optimize life. And, and the way you think and your perceptions uh, ultimately lead to your actions. And Dr. Martini is the world authority on helping you change your perceptions or at least acknowledge your perceptions, look deeper, and then giving you the action items to live in alignment with your values, right? So the great one of the greatest things I've done in my life that literally helped me change my life in, in, in so many ways was getting absolute clear clarity on my values. So I suggest you head over to drdmartini.com and do the value determinants and don't do it once, as he says, do it multiple times because the value that exists inside that once you finally get clarity will allow you to, to know how you're making decisions, will allow you to know where your money's going, will allow you to know how to plan your future, how to choose what books to read, how to know what podcasts to, to focus on because there's so many things, isn't there? And, and the, the problem we have in our society, if I could be so bold as to make a statement is this, is we're just being pulled in too many directions and nobody focuses, right? Focus on something, become great at, at one thing or a small number of things. And you provide so much more value, but you got to make sure it's in alignment with the things you actually know and love and that light up your soul, not filling someone else's values. Have a great day, guys. Share the podcast with at least one person you know and love who wants to live an optimized life. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review, guys. Thank you so much. Reviews and subscriptions drive this podcast and allow us to get the greatest guests on the show. So do it now. I love you all. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.